this is Lon Solomon, and I'd like to thank you for joining us today. You know, God has blessed us and allowed us to be on hundreds of stations around the nation, declaring the uncompromising truth of His Word. What a wonderful privilege and honor it is to do that. And I want to thank you for your generosity, because only with your help are we able to stay on these stations and hopefully go on more stations with enough giving by our partners and our friends. So go to LawnSolomonMinistries.com, and everything there you need to know is on that website. And now, let's get to the Word of God. brought a Bible today, we'd like you to open it to Genesis, the first book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 47, if you would. There was an article this week in the Wall Street Journal that talked about how the events of September 11th have really caused Americans all over to reevaluate their working lives. The Wall Street Journal said, quote, financial planners say they are seeing people willing to settle for leaner retirements so they can leave their job earlier than planned. The collapse of the World Trade Center provided people everywhere with a swift and dramatic reminder that life is fleeting. End of quote. Now, this is what we want to talk about today as we look forward to a brand new year starting in a couple of days. We want to talk about this issue that our life really is fleeting here on this earth and how we as followers of Jesus Christ can maximize the time that we have here and use it in a smart way. So that's our plan to kick off. We want to look at this passage here in Genesis 47. And uh, if you a little bit of background, if you remember, Joseph now has become prime minister of all of Egypt. And Joseph has invited his father and all of his brothers and their families to come down and emigrate into Egypt, which they have done. When they arrived in Egypt, of course, there was a tearful reunion. And then Joseph took his dad and they went off to go see Pharaoh. Verse 7. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob in and presented him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh, and after that Pharaoh asked him, how old are you? Now, Jacob was 130 years old at this moment in time, and I think his age so impressed Pharaoh that the very first thing Pharaoh thought to ask him is, man, how old are you anyway? And here's what Jacob said. Now, he could have given Pharaoh a real simple answer. He could have said, I'm 130. But he didn't. Actually, he gave him a very profound answer. Here's what he said, verse 9. Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my pilgrimage are 130. My years have been few and difficult, and they do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my fathers. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. Now, there was a word that two times in verse 9, Jacob uses to describe his earthly life. He describes it with the word pilgrimage. Now, folks, what exactly is a pilgrimage? Well, the essence of a pilgrimage is that we're on our way somewhere, but we haven't arrived yet. The essence of a pilgrimage is that our present position is not our final destination. We are in transit. And this is exactly what Jacob meant when he referred to his earthly life as a pilgrimage. He meant that he was merely in transit through this earth, moving through this earthly life on the way to his final destination, which was in eternity. 
Now, from cover to cover, this is the perspective on life that the Bible presents. First of all, the Bible tells us that as pilgrims moving through this world, our time here is temporary and it's short. For example, Job 14.1, man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. Like a flower, he comes forth and then withers. James 4 verse 14, what is your life? You're like a vapor that appears for a little while and then passes away, which is why David then said, Psalm 39, O Lord, show me how fleeting my life really is. And you know, whenever I do a funeral, I try to remind people of this biblical truth that we're just pilgrims, that we're just passing through, that God never intended this world to be our final destination. So the fact that our life here is short and the fact that our life here is temporary shouldn't shock us and it certainly shouldn't depress us. This is not our home, was never intended to be our home. The second thing the Bible teaches about this pilgrimage we're on is that our ultimate destination is in eternity where we meet God. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. It is destined for human beings to die once and after that to face God, to face judgment. And the Bible goes on to tell us that in eternity, which is our final destination, there are two landing pads and everybody will land on one of these two pads. One of them the Bible calls heaven. The other one the Bible calls hell. And the Bible says, whichever pad you and I land on, that's where we're going to be forever. The Bible also tells us that what determines which pad we land on, it's determined exclusively by what we did with Jesus Christ while we were on our earthly pilgrimage. Did we embrace him as our Messiah, our Lord, and our Savior? Did we trust his death on the cross to be the only payment that we offer God for our wrongdoings? If we did that, then the Bible's very clear that our landing pad is going to be heaven. And uh, listen to what Jesus said uh, to the thief on the cross who had made that decision. He said, Luke 23, today, when you leave this world, let me tell you where you're going to land, son. You are going to be with me in paradise. This is why the Bible says, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, that for followers of Christ, our citizenship is in heaven. That's where we're going. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, for us as followers of Christ to be absent from our body when we leave here means for us to be present with the Lord. Folks, this is the wonderful news of the Bible, if you're a follower of Christ, is that regardless of the vicissitudes, the struggles, the heartaches, and even the tragedies of life, our eternal destination is settled, period, period, double period. And that's wonderful to know. Our landing pad is secure. Now, let me say if you're here and you've never trusted Christ in a real and personal way, that your eternal destination, I'm afraid, is not quite that attractive. And it doesn't give me great joy to tell you that. But folks, this is what God says in the Bible and it doesn't do any of us any good to sugarcoat it. However, the good news of the Bible is that you can change your landing pad whenever you want to. You can switch it to heaven whenever you want to by simply doing what God tells us to do in the Bible, trusting Christ as our personal Savior. God is not only willing to change your landing pad, God is anxious to change your landing pad. But you just got to do what he asks you to do. You can do it here today before you ever walk out of here. Just bow your head, accept Christ, and change your landing pad before you leave here today. What a wonderful weekend to do it to begin a new year. 
But folks, landing on the wrong pad in eternity is a nasty affair. You don't want to do that. If you're here and you're not absolutely sure your landing pad is secure, make it secure and make it secure while you got the time to do it. Well, let's summarize. What have we learned so far? We've learned, since most of us here are followers of Christ today, we've learned that we're on a pilgrimage, that we're headed through this world on our way to our final destination called heaven. Now, folks, that pilgrimage could last all of 2002, and you could be right back here at the beginning of 2003, and we're talking about something else for 2003. That'd be good. Or that pilgrimage could end in 2002 for you, And you could actually go and arrive at your eternal destination. That could happen. But either way, I want to spend the rest of the time I've got left this morning talking to us about being smart pilgrims. And I've got four suggestions about ways in which God wants you and me to be smart pilgrims. Here we go. Number one, God wants us to be smart pilgrims, number one, in the way that we use our time. Ephesians 5, verse 16, Paul says, redeem the time, make the most of the time, use time strategically, because as a pilgrim, you know you don't have an unlimited supply of this stuff. Use it wisely. In the verse that we read earlier in our scripture reading, Psalm 90, Moses writes, teach us to number our days properly, that they're short, so that we might act with wisdom. And it's very interesting as I look around our world, I notice that most people in our world use time as though they got an absolutely unlimited supply of it. That's how they treat it. Our time is limited and we've got to be smart in how we use it. Hey, you're a pilgrim. Your time is not indefinite. And a smart pilgrim understands that and says, okay, as a smart pilgrim, I've got to be strategic about the things I do with my time. I remember an incredible story that Chuck Swindoll told a few years ago about an incident that happened to him when he was in the Los Angeles airport. He was waiting for his flight, and he's looking around, and he noticed there was an elderly man sitting over it all by himself, and the man was just weeping uncontrollably. He said that he tried to ignore the guy for a while, but finally, when, the, when he, he just couldn't, so he, he got up, and he went over, and he put his arm around the man, and he said, Sir, you know, he says, I, you know, I notice over there that you're, over, you're crying, and, and I'm a pastor. I don't know if I can be of any help. And then he said this guy told him, this amazing story. He said, you know, my wife, for years and years and years, all she ever wanted to do was go to Hawaii. She asked me for her birthday, take her to Hawaii. She asked me for our anniversary, take me to Hawaii. She asked me for Christmas, take me to Hawaii. And he said, you know, I always had some excuse why I wouldn't work to go to Hawaii. He said, about two months ago, my wife took ill and passed away. And he said, as she was lying there in the hospital about ready to die, I was visiting with her and she took my hand in hers, he said to Chuck, and she looked at me in the eye and she said, would you do me a big favor? And he said, sure, anything. She said, when I die, would you go to Hawaii, please? And so he said, here I am, I'm off to Hawaii by myself, having buried my wife, and I'm sitting here saying to myself, what in the world was so important that all those years, I never took my wife to Hawaii. Now, folks, as smart pilgrims, we ought to know better than put things off like this. Because we don't know how much time we got, but we know we don't have unlimited time. And so in 2002, if you want to be a smart pilgrim, and if I want to be a smart pilgrim, it means that we don't put off the important things, like serving God 
and investing in our family and speaking to people about their relationship with Christ and caring for other people around us because we don't know how much time we've got. We've got to make it strategic in how we use it. Number two, smart pilgrims, number two, distinguish themselves in the way that we approach future planning. James chapter 4 says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this city or to that city and carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen to you tomorrow, James says. So instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. Smart pilgrims understand there are no guarantees on this pilgrimage. Smart pilgrims plan the future, but they plan very lightly. And they never say, I will do this. They never say, I will go there. They always say, Dio Valente, the Lord willing, I'll go here. The Lord willing, I'll go there. You know, I drive my family crazy saying this. My kids will come to me and go, can we do this? Can we do that? Can we do the other thing? And I always go, Lord willing. And they go, what is wrong with you? Why can't you just ever say yes or say no? I say this because this is biblical truth. Friends, smart pilgrims plan, but they plan lightly because they realize it's all up to the grace of God whether we do anything tomorrow. Number three, smart pilgrims distinguish themselves in the way that they use their material wealth. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world. I was there when all four of my children came out the womb and they came out the womb with nothing. And it is certain, the Bible says, certain that we can take nothing out of this world. Hey, we've all seen pictures of the pyramids. When the Pharaoh would die, they would bury all the material possessions of the Pharaoh right in the tomb with him because they figured he'd need them for the afterlife. Well, of course, most of these tombs have all been robbed centuries ago. There's nothing there. But in 1922, Mr. Howard Carter found the tomb of King Tut. And in there found the most incredible treasures. Now, here's the interesting thing, though. When they found all of this, 3,500 years later, guess what? Everything was right where they put it. Not one thing had moved one inch. You know why? Because it is certain we can take nothing out of this world with us. And friends, even if they bury you in your BMW, it doesn't make a bit of difference. It's going to be there 3,000 years later. You're not taking that with you. This is why the Bible goes on to tell smart pilgrims how to handle their wealth. The Bible says, 1 Timothy chapter 6, command those who are rich in this world. You say, well, that's good. That's not for me. Whoa. If you've ever traveled anywhere outside of the United States, you know that people who make the average salary in Washington are rich women and rich men compared to the rest of the world. Oh, yes, this applies to us. Command those who are rich in this world not to put their trust in uncertain riches. Command them to do good with their money, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share, for by doing this, they will lay up for themselves treasure in heaven. See, friends, as pilgrims, the only riches we can take with us to heaven are the riches we give away to the work of God while we're down here. That's it. You know, I hope you're not going to misunderstand what I'm going to say, but this past week, I was sitting in my office at home and I was getting ready to write out my end of the year giving check to McLean Bible Church. I'd addressed the envelope and everything and I I wrote the check. And just let me say for where my family and I are right now, it was a fairly substantial amount that we were going to give. And I wrote the check and, and I went to stick it in the envelope and then I hesitated. I couldn't get it in the envelope. 
And let me tell you why I couldn't get in the envelope. Because I was sitting there thinking about all the things I could do with this money if I didn't give it to the work of God and all the things I could buy. And so I'm paralyzed. I cannot get this check in the envelope sitting there. And it was right at that moment that the Lord spoke to my heart and said, Lon, hello. Yes, Lord. He said, Lon, you, you lead tours to the Middle East, right? Yes, I do, Lord. You've been to Cairo, right? Yes, I have, Lord. You've been in the Egyptian Museum, right? I have, Lord. You've seen the treasures of King Tut. I have, Lord. Did any of that go with him, Lon? Now, Lon, don't be a dumb pilgrim, son. Be a smart pilgrim. Everything you buy with this money, if you keep it and buy stuff, is all staying right here. But you give that money to the work of God and you have my promise. When you get to your destination in heaven, it'll all be in that bank account. Every dollar of it waiting for you when you get there. Now be a smart pilgrim. You know what? I put that check in the envelope, licked it, sealed it, and sent it, and never even thought about it again, folks. It's amazing how a little bit of biblical truth will change the way you handle your resources down here. This is not our final home. This is not where we're going. Smart pilgrims understand that and they make sure they send enough on ahead that when they get to their final destination, there's enough waiting there for them that they're happy with their bank account. Number four and finally, if smart pilgrims, number four, are distinguished by the way we make our choices in life. First Peter chapter two, verse 11. I urge you as foreigners... And pilgrims in this world, there's our word, to stay away from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. Instead, live holy and godlike lives as you look forward to the day that you and God will meet. You know, Merv Griffin, some of us here know who he is. We remember his talk show years ago on television. He's also the creator of a number of very well-known game shows. You know, Wheel of Fortune, Jeopardy, Family Feud, Survey Says. You understand, you know. Well, anyway, he was on TV a while back, and here's what he said, and I quote. He said, a hundred years from now, who in the world is ever going to know what any of us did? So why worry? End of quote. Well, I say to Merv, survey says, "Eh, Merv, you got that wrong. Because the Bible says the exact opposite. The Bible says not only does God know everything that you and I do, but as followers of Christ, when we arrive in heaven, he's going to give us a performance review where we go back over everything you and I have ever done. Not, Not in terms of whether or not we stay in heaven. I mean, that was settled the day we trusted Christ. But in terms of reward or lack thereof that God hands to us when we arrive. Friends, the Bible speaks of this performance review all the time. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. For we as followers of Christ must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one of us may receive what is due us. Reward or lack thereof for the things we did while we were on our pilgrimage in this human body. Romans 14, verse 12. So then, as Christians, each of us will give an account of himself or herself to God. I mean, why is it that I choose to try not to cheat, not to lie, not to steal, not to commit adultery, not to eye up women, not to defy authority, to keep my word even when I'm sorry I gave my word? Why? Not because I'm afraid of not going to heaven if I do some of these things, friend. It's because I know that I'm going to face Jesus Christ eyeball to eyeball when I arrive, and I'm going to give a personal accounting of every thought, every word, every deed, every action, 
that I did on my pilgrimage, I'm telling you, that scares me. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm here to tell you, every one of you is going to have the opportunity to have that same appointment with the Lord Jesus. I believe that smart pilgrims are always asking themselves a question many times a day. And what is that question? It's not, so what? That's not the question. The question that smart pilgrims ask themselves is this question. Here we go. Am I prepared when I arrive in heaven to look the risen Lord Jesus square in the eyeballs to explain what it is I'm about to go do and then to accept the consequences that follow? Got to tell you, it's pretty amazing when I run things through that, that little question, how quickly things that I really wanted to do 10 seconds before look unattractive after I've run them through that. Now, friends, this is a question we should ask ourselves before we say things, before we do things. Many of us face this question after we've done it. That's the wrong time to ask it. The time to ask it is before we do it. Because as pilgrims, we know we're headed for that showdown. We're headed for that meeting. What have we learned today about being a smart pilgrim in 2002? Well, we've learned, number one, that a smart pilgrim is distinguished by the way he or she uses their time. They use it strategically because they realize they don't have an unlimited supply. Number two, a smart pilgrim is distinguished by the way we approach future planning. We approach it lightly the Lord willing. Number three, a smart pilgrim is distinguished by the way we spend our money and manage our earthly resources. We realize we're leaving here. We're leaving everything material behind. We better make sure we send something on ahead by giving it to the work of God. And number four, smart pilgrims are distinguished by the way we make our choices in life. We know We have a performance review coming. We're going to look Jesus eyeball to eyeball when we get there. And we make choices that we're not going to be ashamed of when we have to face him. Let me close by saying that, do you know what the biggest obstacle here in Washington, D.C. is in trying to bring people to faith in Christ? You go, yeah, I know what it is. People here are too educated. Nope. Uh, They're too affluent. That's not it. Friends, here's what it is. The biggest obstacle of bringing people to Christ here in Washington is that most people in this city don't see any real difference between the way we as followers of Christ live and the way they live. We tell them what their need for Christ and how Jesus can change their life. And they look at people who claim to be Christians and they say, well, you know what? I look at the way she lives. I look at the way he lives. I don't see any big change. They live just like I live. See, God wants us to live so differently that when people look at our lives in the good sense, they say, yeah, I do see a difference. I see that person living out a biblical worldview. I can see the difference. Difference in the way they use time. Difference in the way they plan the future. Difference in the way they use their money. Difference in the way that they make their choices. I see a difference. Friends, the way we're going to make an impact on this city is having thousands of smart pilgrims go out there and live a pilgrim biblical worldview in the eyes of everybody around us. That's the only way we're going to make that difference. So that's my challenge to you and me. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for talking to us today about right down where we live, everyday life. Lord, you know the world entices us towards making decisions, making choices, spending our money, using our time, making our plans in ways that that reflect that we're going to be here forever, that this world is our final resting place. My prayer is that you would give us a biblical perspective 
My prayer, Lord, is that you would remind us we're just pilgrims. We're just passing through. And that our final destination is with you. We need to live like that. We need to handle our resources like that. We need to make choices in light of that. Use our time that way. So God, change our lives because we were here today. And may that change be conspicuous to the people around us so that we might have the privilege of seeing many of their lives change too. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to So What with Dr. Lon Solomon. So What is an outreach of Lon Solomon Ministries. To listen to today's message or for more information, visit our website, lonsolomonministries.org. Thank you for your support. If you would like to contact us, please visit our website or call us at 866-788-7770. We hope you will join us next time when Lon seeks to answer one of life's most important questions, so what?